Hello, my name is Alexander Morari, and I'm the founder of ITK Media. You've tuned into our podcast about Central and Eastern European startups that are in pre-Series A stage. And our guest today is Pavel Zavatsky, the co-founder of M&M. That's a company using advanced AI-based and AI-driven uh, innovative software tools for rapid and effective cancer diagnosis, prediction and prognosis. Uh, Cześć, Pavel. Hello, hello, Alex. Great to, uh, to actually be part of it. Um, look, it, it seems from my research that M&M is at the forefront, not only of Polish or European, but global, basically global effort to try and um, unfold the mysteries uh, of uh, cancers uh, based on AI. Is that so? Or is it not yeah. too modest to describe you like that? No, I mean, you know, it, it, is, it is a global fight against cancer we are taking part of. And, and, and there is no boundaries for cancer patients. And the research is actually happening globally. So I spent quite a few years in UK, uh, Oxford doing genomics. And then I realized that uh, there are problems where uh, you can actually approach them anywhere. So it doesn't matter where you work. You actually are solving universal problems. And you have to work with people around the globe. I mean, if you think that you can build a great company or so solve a big problem with your friends from your town, wherever the town is, uh, you are in troubles. I mean, you have to be collaborating worldwide. And this is exactly what we are doing. Pavel, it seems that what we mentioned right now is probably characteristic of um, something called like deep tech kind of um, space. Quantum computing is very much like that. Um, AI driven like for far at the far front of uh, medical diagnosis or, or, or cancer fight, as you say. That's where the scientific fraternity probably is uh, less of a mask and more of a reality. Uh, and of course, this is not like that in like uh, uh, non-deep tech uh, spaces. Would you agree with that? Sure. I mean, uh, because the problems we are solving are so universal and the resources which are required to solve this problem are so huge. Normally, the, the source of uh, discoveries is actually the academia. So most of the data we are using, most of the uh, tools we, we continue to uh, develop and improve, they actually were born at uh, best universities. So these are Harvard University, Cambridge, and so on, and so on. And that actually makes all of the work uh, global because you have to rely on these uh, fantastic people, fantastic group leaders, uh, the programs which uh, sequence thousands of patients. Not a single company can go and uh, sequence 100,000 uh, 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 cancer genomes but the government can and the government do, um, but they do it uh, in US, Australia, uh, Germany, UK, and they share. And this is a hugely important factor for this kind of uh, approaches we are following is without sharing of the data, loads of the discoveries would not be possible. So we are part of this trend where we also share loads of data, not all of it. We actually have some of the IP protected because otherwise you can't build the company. But we believe in sharing the data and uh, we share as much as we can. I've also always wanted to ask somebody who is specialized in cancer uh, diagnosis, treatment, like science and med medical kind of background, whether or not cancer is a consequence of um, uh, uh, advances of the civilization. And basically cancer is very often a, a, a derivative of um, more advanced age that human population can reach, basically. How true is that or how uh, completely rubbish this is? Uh, 
so there is uh, there is a little bit of truth there. So cancer is a genomic disease. So imagine that uh, your cells are not going to be accumulating mutations. Uh, then you'd never get cancer, actually. And the issue is that the mutations accumulate because your cells keep dividing. Um, and the older you get, the less accurate the DNA repair pathways are. So when you are a baby, you actually have a fantastically accurate DNA repair pathways. So there are cancers uh, uh, observed in children, but there's not that many of them. But the older you get, the less effective uh, the, the, the pathways are. And actually, you had more time to accumulate some mistakes. So what is happening is that the, the older you are, the higher the likelihood of getting cancer is. So yes, it is a derivative of uh, uh, the uh, evolution of our society and economy, but it's simply because we're getting older and older. Um, so there's more math. You, you want to say there is more ma mathematics in this than socioeconomics, right? Just because of the probability, I mean, is, the odds increase are, with time. Yeah, okay. These are only the probabilities and accumulation of the mutations. Because imagine that every cell division, you have three mutations by, by chance, randomly. And then of course, uh, by the age of uh, um, 30, maybe you had like 10 billions of uh, cell divisions. But then in next 20 years, you're gonna get another 5 billions of chances that the mutation will actually hit an important gene and the cancer will develop. So this is a stochastic process and this is a pure chance. So statistically, it's just more likely to get these mutations when you are older. And this is what we observed. The statistics is supporting that uh, uh, very strongly. Okay, so mutations are freaking the system of the replication of DNA, clear. And you, you, can, you could accumulate with time the negative uh, outcomes. What about positive outcomes? We do not hear of superpowers. Uh, as a result of, uh, you know, age-based mutations or problems in the DNA repair paths and so on and so on. Why, is, why, why, why don't we mutate into superheroes? We actually do. How but come? the issue is uh, you have to use a very different perspective. Ah. So 99.99 um, uh, or even more percent of mutations uh, are actually harmful. But every now and then you have a mutation which gives you a positive um, a feature, you might be a little bit stronger, you might live a little bit longer, your muscles may con uh, contract faster. But the issue is uh, you have to wait uh, several thousands years uh, to have the effect which will stick to the uh, particular individual. And then if you look at uh, monkeys, and if you look at us, we are quite different. We have massive brains which, which operate in the way the monkey's brain will never ever operate. And this is purely due to mutations because some of them were beneficial and some of the monkeys suddenly uh, managed to uh, imagine something or create an idea of a tool. Yeah. And this is purely to the skill of the brain, which was a consequence of a mutation, uh, but you have to wait like 100,000 or half a million years to actually see the effect of that. Uh, whereas when the mutation is harmful, uh, you're gonna see it immediately by having a disease. Wow. Very unfortunate, okay. though. Pavel, great. That's enough for the warm-up. Let's uh, get back to the scenario then and start with the product. Uh, round one, solution the product. And let's start with the all-encompassing platform that you uh, basically came up with, the Gemma AI. And that's a trademark, I should say. 
how would you describe Gemma and, uh, Gemma and AI and what are the constituent like parts or elements of, um, of this platform? So first, the, the very basic uh, background. So when you think about uh, um, diagnosing tumors, uh, this is the problem which has been recognized for hundreds of years. And initially, what people have been doing is they would take a microscope, look under the microscope what kind of tumor cells are there, and say, oh, these are big cells. We're going to treat them this way. Uh, but that didn't work particularly well, because uh, just seeing the cell tells you very little. So then over the years, different methods have been developed. Uh, but then at the end of the day, what you want to test is DNA, because tumor's DNA is, is what defines the behavior of DNA, the sensitivity to particular drugs. Everything is within the DNA. And like 20 years ago, sequencing of the DNA was kind of like a standard. And, and we are at the stage um, of the development of uh, treatments or selection of the treatment where what we say as an MM is look, when you go to a clinician, the clinician is going to test 0.1% of your DNA. Why would you do such thing? And the answer is uh, because it was too expensive, because technology was not existing. And all of these arguments weren't true 10 years ago, but they're not true today. Because today we can actually analyze 100% of uh, tumor genome. And now we, we have tools which allows to take this enormous amount of data and convert it into a valuable clinical information. And this is exactly what we do. So we can develop now technologies which actually help clinicians to make a decision because 10 years ago, the technology to sequence 100% of your DNA was not only developed, but it was made affordable. It's not as expensive as it was like 20 years ago. So now technology is uh, uh, affordable, but you have an issue that you get huge amount of data and what you do with the data. So uh, 10 years ago, people would say, oh, you have to take an Excel and find these particular mutations and then you make a decision. But if you take like 3 billion letters from your tumor DNA, you can't use Excel to actually do this exercise. So you need sophisticated tools. And this is what we are building. So Gemma is a platform which is using loads of computational power, of sophisticated algorithms, AI to actually analyze this data and instead of giving this data to clinician, uh, the platform is saying, oh, this patient should not use PARP inhibitors, but it can use uh, ATR inhibitors. It's extremely likely that this person will uh, respond to this particular treatment because there are some information within the uh, tumor genome which indicates that uh, that's going to happen. And this is what we do. We, we look for uh, markers. We call it biomarkers. Uh, we look for uh, everything what is within tumor genome. Uh, we understand uh, why tumor actually developed in the first place. And with all of this information, you can actually go to a clinician and say, look, because we found this set of biomarkers, this is extremely likely that the patient will respond to ATR inhibitors because uh, when we look at uh, uh, clini clinical cases of patients who did respond to this particular treatment, all of them has these biomarkers. And, and, then you, and then the clinician can make a, a right judgment because uh, you have to understand the tumor in order to select the right drug. So Gemma as a platform is actually helping clinicians to make these decisions by analyzing enormous amount of data and translating it into something which a clinician can understand. Each person cancer, I understand, has a unique pattern of uh, biomarkers, right? And what you have now described, this is all um, customized for a 
specific patient, right? So that's what you are yeah. trying to do. This is not like this patient. Okay, this patient can be can be in the category uh, thirty eight, and this is what we can uh, advise. It's actually one solution for one specific patient. And this, how, how repeatable uh, one pattern in a patient can be in other patients? Or is this completely specific and uh, unique for one specific person with the, with the tumor, let's say? So how many people on the planet are identical to you or to me? <laughs> uh, zero. Zero. Maybe you will find someone who is very, very, very close. Okay very close, but they're not going to be identical. And this is exactly like that with tumors. Okay. So tumors, okay. tumors have thousands of mutations. So every single tumor is different. So what you do is you, we recognize patterns. So this is what the AI is becoming better and better at. You recognize patterns. So we, we can have two tumors with similar patterns. Yeah. And if you have these patterns, then what you have to do is you have to look at, uh, the patients who's been treated with particular treatment and ask, so what pattern does this uh, patient uh, have? And if you know that uh, this patient responded to particular treatment and you have the second patient with exactly the same pattern, different mutations, but the pattern is similar, we know that it's very likelihood that with this pattern, the tumor will respond to the same drug as the other person who already been given a, a, a treatment. And uh, we look for patterns, we look for uh, uh, similarities. There are always differences, but there is enough similarities to actually group patients as responders together. And this is what actually our algorithms are doing. They're saying, oh, this patient belongs to this cohort. This patient belongs to the other cohort. And the other cohort um, behaves in the way that they do not respond to this treatment, uh, the other treatment, but they frequently respond to and uh, uh, treatment with uh, uh, any given uh, drug. So this is how it works more or less with all the uh, similarities. There are always differences, uh, but we can see patterns and that's what is important. And what's exciting, this is both uh, scientific, uh, you could say scientific work, research, basically. You, you, you have a hypothesis and then you go and get arguments pro or con and then adapt your, your Kind of uh, evolved hypothesis, clear, but then, exactly. yeah, but then it's also always also a business, right? So and let's I mean, say we, yeah, I mean your company is also a business. How um, could you please like uh, describe more on the business side? Like how I understand you are on the far front of like deep tech, um, and it takes time, effort, money, and so on, like brain power. Um, uh, ability to expose some of your adv advances and then to hide critical things, not to lose the competitive edge and so on. Now, this is clear on the like on this type uh, on this side. What about the business as such? How would you say uh, advanced you are as a business, and uh, what's your goal for this year, 2021, for the next year in terms of a uh, of a uh, business? So. As it happened, uh, COVID was, I know it's gonna sound bad, but it was a blessing for us. And the reason is that um, what happened when COVID started is uh, we actually had a, a proof of concept that the platform works. Uh, we knew that uh, we can analyze thousands and thousands of genomes, um, 
but there was not actually many people using it because uh, this is an advanced technology. So you have to prove that the technology works. So when we started uh, uh, talking to people about how the platform could be used and the COVID started, we actually got quite a few questions whether, oh, look, it's quite likely that uh, uh, some people gonna suffer from COVID much more than, than others. So is there a possibility that you can actually apply the platform in a search for biomarkers for severe COVID or uh, to find the people who are not gonna uh, suffer at all. And these are gonna be people who don't have to worry that much. And at the very beginning, we, we actually made that decision that we're gonna join the forces trying to understand COVID and fight COVID. So for past uh, 15 months, uh, we've actually generated a couple of million of dollars of revenue because there was quite a few institutes using the platform to analyze uh, the genomes uh, from uh, COVID patients. And we managed to find actually uh, several genomic biomarkers, genomic positions, which can tell you whether you're gonna suffer from uh, severe COVID or yes, you're gonna I go uh, mildly. So for us, it was great because we got uh, a massive boost in revenue. Exposure mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and interest. Yeah, we got, exposure wow. now most of the work is uh, back to the oncology so oncology was the focus from the early on but actually when you think about it it doesn't matter whether i ask a question whether the patient will respond to uh, a cancer treatment or to a COVID. so this is something which is affected by uh, by our uh, genetic blueprint so it was a great and fantastic um, uh, so business-wise, now we got much more recognition. So we got two papers in science, one paper in nature, which means that the, the technology we've been uh, developing uh, actually works. Uh, and now we are moving back to the cancer uh, work and focusing on developing tests. So from the business side, when you have a platform is great, but you have to monetize it one way or, or, or the other. Uh, and of course, um, what, what we've been considering is to become a service provider to pharma companies. But very early on, we've decided that uh, the, the platform is too precious to be actually used for that. So what we've decided is let's build the pattern, uh, we call it biomarker signature, pattern which can predict whether the patient will respond to a particular treatment. So we, we've developed this kind of pattern for PAP inhibitors, CDK4, six inhibitors, ATR inhibitors, and what we do is we protect the IP of this uh, pattern and we are developing diagnostic tools for this category of drugs. So this is the business model. At the, at the moment, we have two patents which has been uh, filed or, already. And we have one test which uh, we are discussing with FDA how we should approach the uh, uh, clinical validation process and one which is waiting till the first one is going to actually uh, reach the market. So the goal is, and with a high likelihood, we're actually going to have the first product, uh, which is a result of Gemma on the market at the end of next year. So, th so that was super important for us because A, we've proven that the platform works, and B, we've produced a product which is going to be available to patients. Um, and then we can actually keep bringing uh, uh, more products because the lovely thing about the platform is that once you have it working, uh, you can produce the first product, second product, and you can uh, keep going because there is hundreds and hundreds of different therapies available. Some of them have uh, the, the guiding system, this, uh, the biomarker uh, information, but most of them are actually given 
without analysis of a tumor. And uh, that's why loads of the comp companies um, offer drugs which have what, like 20% success rate, 30% success rate. And what we believe we, we can actually move it to like 70, 80 or even more uh, once you have a good uh, uh, enough information. And uh, the pattern which is revealed once you actually analyze the 100% of tumor genome. From a specific patient? From an individual patient. It's always done for individual patients. So this is the true wow. personalized medicine. When you take a sample from uh, patient A and you ask, so what patterns does this particular patient have? You, you, you don't ask well, whether this patient belongs to uh, female age 45. So these uh, female 45 years old, they, they often respond well to this treatment. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> You take the tumor uh, genome, you analyze all of the available information and you make an educated guess or you actually sometimes have a very, very good uh, Scientific. Uh, prediction. Score. Look, and now, Pavel, tell me, how do you take the sample of tumor for DNA analysis? I mean, so this is done, yeah, yeah. So this is done in the hospitals during the biopsy or uh, surgery. So in order to actually uh, test whether particular a lump of, of cell is tumor or not, there has to be biopsy. So once the biopsy is taken, we just take part of the biopsy. So part of it goes to the histopathology, uh, other parties used for uh, uh, traditional testing, and part of it, usually a third, uh, if it is delivered to us, we can actually perform the whole genome sequencing and, and do uh, the most accurate uh, assessment of tumor type uh, existing. And technically, again, how this is transported to your physical location where? And, so, and can, yes. Let's so, take an example uh, of a ger German patient, let's say. So in every single country, and we're operating in two countries at the moment, so this is US and, and, and Poland, we have one central laboratory and we have logistics sorted that once we have an agreement with the hospital, the hospital is uh, taking the sample and uh, the, uh, the, the logistic and transport brings the sample to our lab where the sample is processed. And once processed, then uh, it has to be sequenced, uh, then it has to be analyzed on the servers, and then the pipeline has to be used, and the gem actually provides with a pattern, and the pattern gives you information about how likely it is you will respond to uh, therapy A, therapy B, therapy C. So, and we deliver the report to our clinician, because um, at the end of the day, it's a clinician who is making a decision uh, which drug to use. So we just, uh, we are a toolkit for a clinician uh, which uh, delivers uh, additional information, which helps to make a good decision. So it's a more educated decision and better prepared decision by the clinician. And I understand you are just enabling what a, uh, you're enabling this, um, uh, Feed, feed like feedback loop or feed feed forward kind of information loop uh, and give actionable insights into a specific patient right so that's exactly actionable this is insights the, wow okay. exactly because our job is to deliver information to a clinician who can then make a right choice and this is particularly becoming a problem now because again 10 years ago no one would care you you would get uh, one drug or the second drug, and uh, there was like two drugs for this particular uh, cancer type. But there is more and more treatment today. There are targeted therapies. There are therapies which work particularly well for this subpopulation of patients. And how the clinician is supposed to make this decision? 
I mean, if you have 20 drugs, how you make this call? Um, and uh, we believe that we, we actually found a solution. You look at the patterns of changes within tumor genome, and that informs which of these 20 ther uh, therapies uh, should be used. And the more information, the more the more kind of uh, these information channels you have with every specific patient that prove your 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 formula, the more accurate it's it's becoming, as a usual kind of um, evolution evolution cycle of any AI based kind of uh, uh, platforms. I would say we are um, always limited by uh, the amount of data, and the more data we have, the more accurate the predictions are. Yes, that is correct. Yeah, for this round, two more questions. I think I have first uh, more um, kind of based with expansion. FDA, just for some people who who don't know, probably FDA. If I remember, uh, what um, Food and Drug Administration. Food and Drug Administration, specifically covering U.S. But I correct me if I am wrong. Uh, if I'm right, if you go through the um, um, approval process in FDA, that almost opens you um, easy process, similar processes in other uh, Western markets. Is that so? Uh, that is exactly the logic. So uh, EU has its own um, uh, regulatory body, but we found that FDA is actually more strict. And uh -huh. once you have approval in a more strict body, it's so much easier to actually go to EU, uh, this is called EMA, uh, and say, look, we actually recently got approval from FDA. So this is what we've done. Uh, what else would you like to see? And it's quite likely they're going to say, oh, that's actually enough. So thank you very much. Uh, here is your approval. So the logic was to start from uh, US. And uh, US is also the most competitive and the biggest market. So for us, it was extra motivation because we know that we have to do an excellent work to actually uh, compete with US companies and convince FDA that what we are doing is actually uh, valuable for patients. And how uh, advanced this process is? Because I understand you what, we applied a couple of months back um, in spring 2021. Uh, when do you expect to have the results? So we actually got an instruction from FDA what we have to do in terms of convince FDA that the tests work. So what we have to do now is we have to prove uh, in clinic uh, with uh, collaborations with uh, hospitals, that the results we are delivering uh, are actually consistent with what we've observed in the retrospective study. So the first thing we've done, and for you to actually understand how the process works, once you build an algorithm, which is making a clinical uh, decision, you have to test it on patients who's been already treated. So we, we've collected, uh, uh, it was 150 samples from patients who's been already treated, and we made a prediction, and the results were already there. So that's the first step, and you test whether actually the algorithm works at, at all. And uh, we got uh, fantastic results with uh, nearly 36 months added to uh, benefits of people who were classified as uh, responders. And then you take this data to FDA and, and say, look, this is what we've done on retrospective study. So what data do you need to actually uh, believe that it will work when we don't see the results? Because of course, the, uh, uh, the risk is that you kind of uh, massage the data okay. uh, and it, it is exactly what should be done. So what we are doing now is we are collecting samples from people who's been only recently treated with a particular okay. drug 
and they don't have the answer yet. So we, we are sending the uh, result of the test, but no one knows whether the patient will respond or not. And in a year or so, what we're gonna see is, okay, that was your prediction. And uh, the hospital can say, oh, it was all rubbish. Or, or they, they can say, oh, fantastic. You've predicted with the accuracy of uh, 85%. So uh, at the moment in retrospective analysis, we have 85% of accuracy. And now the question FDA asks, so what's your accuracy when you actually do it in a prospective way? So we are at the stage where we are collaborating with hospitals, collecting samples, running a test uh, in order to actually assess it in our real life. Uh, and with this data, you can go to FDA and uh, they will decide that or this is good enough. So you are free to actually market it uh, for real patients. So that's the and protocol. And the hospitals are also under jurisdiction of FDA, which means American, right? I understand. And do you recruit hospitals, so, uh, American hospitals by yourselves or they ascribe it to you? Uh, so you have to do it all. You have to do it all or on your own. So FDA is, is only guarding the rules and making sure that all has been done uh, according to the book. But it is your job uh, as a company developing the test uh, to find collaborators and uh, convince them that uh, the test is uh, worth to be tested. Sometimes we, we work with uh, pharma companies because some pharma companies uh, need uh, diagnostic tools to actually convince FDA that the drug should be approved for usage with patients, particularly the drugs which have oh, okay. uh, strong side, side effects, uh, because the FDA has to make a decision. Should you be giving this drug to everyone or should you be can, kind of making prediction and uh, finding the patients who are more likely to respond to your treatment? Uh, so uh, we also work with companies uh, trying to solve this problem for them. Yeah. Although this cooperation might bring positive, but also could bring negative uh, outcome, right? I mean, but if the test doesn't work, it should should not be marketed. Uh, and and yeah. we accept the risk. There is a certain risk that if the tool doesn't work, uh, 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 it should not be marketed. It should be killed immediately. Uh, and so I understand. By default, we think that all pharma companies are fair play and transparent, and uh, they have public interest as their priority. Clear. Yeah, let's say th this is our default thinking. It is. Pavel, thanks a lot. Let's move on to the second round now, competitors and the competitive landscape. Just as you say, um, AI, which was kind of exotic 10 years ago, you could say, and just beginning its uh, march on the globe. Today, anywhere, any part of life, you can find somebody working based on AI. And of course, in your space as well. How, like, who would you name as your top one, two competitors that you like, look up to, or you just need to catch up uh, business-wise or otherwise? And how do you think you stand out uh, from the crowd? So in terms of uh, competitors, it is a crowded environment because cancer is one of the biggest issues for all of the societies. And I think that we need like, 10, maybe no more than 20 years to actually handle cancer well. Um, and the reason why there is not that much time, I think uh, it will take to control cancer well, is because there is a lot of great companies and the improvement was massive. Um, two examples um, I'd like to actually give is uh, Foundation Medicine and, uh, and Tempus. These are two companies where Foundation has introduced genetic testing on a broad scale. Uh, so what they are doing is they are trying to um, convince the world that every single cancer patient should have a genetic test. 
And um, after listening to me for a couple of minutes, you say, oh, that should be obvious. No, it is not obvious. I mean, there is loads of cancer patients who never ever have their DNA uh, uh, tested. So foundation did a fantastic job in making people aware how important genetic testing is. But the issue with foundation is that they are using technology which has been developed 20 years ago. So they are analyzing 0.1% of tumor genome. So 0.1% of the available information is analyzed by the technology they are using. So of course, 20 years ago, the technology we are using, uh, I mean, it, it existed, but one genome uh, sequencing was like $100,000. So it was not possible to use this yeah. technology. Okay. So we were fortunate that, uh, over the uh, past years, uh, the, uh, the prices dropped. And we were fortunate that we were working on the forefront as an academics, because founders of MNMA were actually academics, that we understood the potential of the technology which is out there, and this is AI and other software which can be used to analyze this data. So I have a huge respect to what Foundation did, but they are using 0.1% of information. And it, it just doesn't sound right. Why would you not use 100% of information and translate it into a clinical uh, decision? And that's our competitive advantage. Uh, we are developing technology which brings much more information and which makes the prediction of the response just much more accurate. And when we think about the patients, uh, the 40% uh, accuracy, I mean, is great when you have nothing, but if you can choose between 85 and 40, I think you should go for 85 uh, simply because technology is allowing you uh, to do that. Uh, the second tech, um, uh, tech company, Tempus, Tempus is doing fantastic job in bringing the information from uh, imaging, um, uh, histopathology, genetics together, and they actually bring information from multiple angles. And uh, the work they do is fantastic. Uh, the results they're uh, producing are fantastic. But the only issue they've done is uh, they've decided to, again, use a small proportion of tumor uh, DNA. The reason they've done it is, again, when you start building a business and everyone around you is analyzing 0.1% of, of DNA, why would you go, why would you ask this question? Oh, perhaps 100% is better. No, 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 you do what everyone else is doing. So they've incorporated um, uh, the, the small fraction of this information into their pipelines. And as far as I'm concerned, they are now thinking of switching from 0.1% to 1% because the platform they decide to use allows them to do that, but they can't switch to 100%. So what we are saying is, again, if we manage to discover loads of patterns for loads of drugs, uh, we actually can overtake all of these companies because with strong IP protection, even if they move to 100% of tumor genome, uh, we're gonna be there with our IP portfolio saying, oh sure, but we've already discovered a pattern for this drug, for this drug, for this drug, for this drug. So you can't really develop a test uh, unless you collaborate with us. So um, we do intend to actually start talking to uh, particularly uh, companies like Tempus, because we know that we are building a defensive mode with the technology which they could develop, but we're going to be there faster than, than, uh, than them. In a natural, your competitive age is being, I mean, not being the first or the second in this uh, sector and riding mm -hmm. the wave of the disruption, right, of uh, tools, pricing and availability disruption. 
Wow. Uh, exactly. So we are not the first on the market, uh, uh, which we are glad, glad about. Uh, what we are bringing is uh, the breakthrough in data analysis, because um, the first paper, actually it was uh, one of our co-founders group, published about the possibility of extracting this valuable information was published in 2017. So before that, people thought that it's actually impossible to use this 100% of tumor genome because there is too much information, no one can handle it. So it's only 2017. And uh, once we've realized what's the potential of that is that we, we actually founded M&M uh, 2018 um, with Dominic, who was the first author of, um, of this work, because we knew that the time will come. Uh, well, people will ask this question. So why are you not using 100% of uh, tumor genome? And uh, uh, we can explain why, and we can actually bring to the table uh, everything what can be found there, what is clinically relevant, and we can, which can change the trajectory of uh, uh, cancer treatment. As a quick takeaway to uh, other founders, look around, don't hurry into uh, starting up a company if you think there might be some kind of a disruption. Uh, behind, the, I mean, uh, beyond the horizon. But maybe this is not ideal for everyone. Just go ahead and you know break uh, things fast and so on. But <laughs> could we say that you were lucky? I mean, of course, you realize this um, change, uh, tectonic change, so to say, in like availability and disruption in price and so on, and, like ability, computing power ability as well. But would you would you agree this is a little bit of a luck as well? Oh, it's 90% of the luck. I mean, okay, um, clear. <laughs> so that was um, I mean, luck is incredible component. Uh, uh, I like to think I'm clever. I mean, you know, I'm, I hold a PhD, spent seven years at Oxford. Yes. Uh, but then I, I do claim that luck is like 95% is like 95 of, uh, of uh, the success, success we had so far. Uh, so enormous factor, hugely underappreciated. Pavel, thanks. Um, so we've done, we, we are done with the competitors. Let's move on, on to next round. The next round is a little bit like more relaxed, okay? A series of uh, quick questions and answers, if you can, of course. I ask every founder, um, guys, you, 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 Pavel, you run a very busy life, definitely. It's scientific part, like business part, competitive part, um, regu regulatory interactions, different markets and so on. What are your own uh, productivity hacks? And so far, what I mean is not the tools you're using, but like the ways or methods that you think are helpful uh, to be productive. Mm, so I think the key parameter at some point, particularly when you are, you are not like a five-person startup, and we are nearly 40 people at the moment. So the key thing is to invest in your people. Um, so I actually don't do that much work anymore. Um, what I'm doing and what is, I think, most valuable is I help other people to grow. And this is, this is actually how I uh, deliver, because the team we've created, the, the evolution the people went through, the, the, the way they developed uh, is enormous. And uh, I've multiplied my ability to do stuff, to deliver, uh, by actually helping other people to grow. And that would be my hack to actually multiply by probably five or even 10x uh, what I've been able to do uh, at the beginning. There's still this immersion period or uh, when you, you, you hire somebody new to the team, sometimes you have, you have a strategy for the person uh, evolution or de personal development. Sometimes you don't and just react to the 
like positive feedback loops uh, with this person and so on. Now, how, what I want to say, how, how do you hack then the, the evolution of a person in your company? Do you go, do you know that for a specific position or type of position, you have a, um, an algorithm, how to introduce this person and increase the scope of uh, uh, duties? Or like, how, how, do you, how do you do that? How advanced you are in being scientific, maybe uh, in bringing new people into the company? And what I mean is to find a shortcut to their effectiveness and their um, impact, positive impact into the company. You do think of that, right? How do you do this? Yeah, yeah that's a holy grail of uh, recruiting. I mean, no one has managed to figure it out. So uh, I can tell you what we are doing and it, it seems to be working quite well. So I do believe in every single person I uh, hire. So every single person joining the company, I'm assuming that that's gonna be a fantastic person, perhaps a CTO or CEO in three or four years. And, and, and I used to think that is naive, but actually what turns out is that uh, because I believe in them, they start believing in themselves a little bit more. And then what you do is you have to push people and you have to explain to them what you are doing. And the way to push them is just promote them as quickly as you can. Unfortunately, uh, loads of the people, most of the people will say, uh, that's not for me. I mean, I don't want to be a team leader. I don't want to go into managing 20 people. Uh, but some of them are actually going to come to you and say, oh, I love it. It's fantastic. Um, and and uh, that helps them to find their niche. Uh, loads of the people want to be um, uh, individual contributors. And you have to just uh, let them do that. They're going to be the foundation of your company. Uh, but some of the people are going to go and they're going to be uh, gluing teams. So we have people who suddenly become like, like, like a network. So our communication is so much better because some of the people, they don't want to be managers. They, they are good in uh, coding, but, but they kind of say, oh, I like to communicate. And it's fantastic because if you have 40 people, your communications is going to break. I mean, that's going to be enormously difficult aspect. Uh, but some people are, are going to naturally evolve into it. So keep pushing them by promoting them. Of course, it's painful if someone becomes a, a team leader and then after four months you say, sorry, it doesn't work. You have to go back. Um, uh, it is very painful, but because they understand that uh, you, you gave them the chance and it's not that we're going to fire the person. We're just going to have an honest conversation. Uh, what do you think about this position? Uh, how, how do you feel? And, um, and if you have an honest conversation, people are going to tell you, I don't like managing people. Uh, I, I, I'd love to be actually there. I like structure. I like structure, so I like to go to regulatory. Uh, and uh, that's been fantastic to observe so many people finding their niche, which is compatible with the way they operate. And I, I can't imagine an interview process where you actually ask these questions or try to assess it. Uh, we, we just say, look, we grow like, so we double every 10 months. So every 10 months, M&M is twice as big as it was 10 months ago. So there is loads of space where people can go and find a niche. Uh, and uh, believe it or not, but it's been three and a half years and it's been only recently was the first person who resigned from the company. Three and a half years and you have a first person resigning. We had a couple of uh, people who had to fire, yes but there was a first person resigning because uh, he thought 
uh, that the environment is not perfect for his development. So we're actually pleased that he made this decision because it was a good decision both for him and for us. Um, but, but it was kind of like a, a shock that someone can actually resign. Uh, we, we thought that we, we support people, uh, uh, but the environment is not for everyone. And you have to know it, that when you run a startup, this is very specific environment, extremely fast environment, and uh, not everyone is gonna like it. Uh, and if you don't articulate it clearly at the beginning, uh, people may join and say, or oh, it's gonna be a stable work, uh, nine to five, uh, uh, but but it's not. It's very dynamic. Uh, um, uh, the expectations are high, and everyone feels that. Uh, so, I know I, I know a founder who basically said to a new um, employee just to be hired. He asked about like life 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 work balance and so on, and instead of exploding, the founder is like, "Yeah, I can promise you nine to five. Waited a couple of seconds. Waited for reaction. No reaction." and then from five to nine. And then the conversation took another turn. Interesting, um, Pavel, yeah, yeah, interesting indeed. Like as a takeaway, give credit as, as soon as possible, credit of trust, I mean, and try to promote or test different roles in the company, which is possible in a quickly growing uh, environment, a startup, a scaling uh, stage, you could say. I mean, team scaling. Uh, definitely. Then you have these opportunities. Moreover, you have to do or you you must act like that just because of the very nature of growing the team. You yeah. have no other choice, basically. You have no you other think? choice. I mean, I mean, if today you have a role of being a product manager um, yeah. in three months, that product may not exist. So, so what are you going to do? I mean, you have to find yourself a, a new niche. Um, and uh, I mean, people are quite quite good at it. Uh, uh, for some, it's more difficult, but uh, uh, the dynamic environment um, is something lots of people uh, appreciate. Yeah, on the technical side, what tools would you recommend as like best of the best and like lifesavers? Uh, software, app, uh, app, apps, whatever. Business or private? Uh, so um, in terms of uh, running an organization, uh, Slack is fantastic if you ask about very specific tools, uh, because uh, if you are a team of five, the communication is not an issue. But if the team grows, the communication because becomes a massive issue. So, and then you ask a question, so how you communicate? Uh, the first instinct is, let's have a meeting. And then you have uh, meetings all day long. So then you ask a question, so uh, we have to do some work. Uh, could we actually have some time to do some work? Um, so we've realized that in order to have a great communication, you have to use tools. Uh, and email is not great. Uh, so uh, we use Slack for communicating uh, um, everyday stuff. We have a weekly news newsletter, which is done by one of our um, uh, uh, people. Uh, and it's been actually fantastic uh, to, to keeping the communication. Uh, we, we've tested loads of different tools, actually, to manage the projects, um, but we haven't found the great one. Um, so um, some people are using Asana. We always leave it to our team leaders to decide how they're going to run their, their teams. And what we see is that uh, every team leader is using a different tool. Some of them are actually not using uh, tools if, if, if they run the projects with the people uh, working together hand by hand. Um, but overall, um, from the uh, technology point of view, uh, you should be trying uh, and searching for something which uh, fits the bill. 
And we've tried quite a few tools, uh, some of them stack, some of them uh, we left behind. Um, and uh, yeah, so that, that would be my uh, take home message. Uh, loads of options out there. And these are um, specific to particular uh, companies, particular uh, areas of uh, even within the companies. Uh, as I said, some of the people are using uh, Asana for, for others. It's like, oh, no, no, it's just slowing us down. Um, so interesting. And then you do not impose on the toolbox, right, uh, for your teams. That's an interesting approach. No, I mean, it's, you know, we are using a G Suite, which also gives you lo loads of options. Um, uh, so what we found is that having a G Suite um, shows you uh, possibilities. Sometimes you use the tool which uh, other companies are making uh, more user friendly or, or so. Uh, but the key thing would be to know uh, what is out there. And often, if someone is not showing it to you, you're not going to explore it because you have your own way of operating. And you, you're going to say, oh, this is what I've been doing for years. And this is the, the right way. And what we have found is that if you leave team leaders to decide, and if you have like 10 team leaders in the company, they're going to talk one to another. And the good solutions are going to spread. Uh, ah, and, okay. the, uh, and, and, and this is how, how we actually uh, uh, run the entire business. Loads of flexibility and uh, responsibility in the hands of uh, team members. And the last question for this uh, uh, short Q&A, supposedly short Q&A. What's the best approach to enter a US market? I mean, US market and grow there because you are there, based there already, right? Boston, I guess. Yeah, so um, you have to move there. So we, we are now, uh, so we are waiting for visa. So uh, we go every now and then uh, to, to have a conversation network with people. Um, and uh, the advice uh, I've had when I was talking to people about how we should approach it is you have to move there rather sooner than later, uh, which of course is a massive challenge. It's a massive challenge because uh, you have a team here, team relies on you, um, and then you have to go there and what? Uh, are you going to build a new team? Are you going to link the teams together? Um, and, and what we've decided to do is go there start networking and, and actually start building uh, with a mindset of actually having a second company. So we, we're going to rely on uh, the, uh, the Polish company a lot. There is loads of knowledge and uh, there are fantastic people, um, but the market is very different. So uh, the, the other advice I got, which I'm intending to follow is, you have to have an insider. So you have to hire the person who understand the market uh, perhaps have been there for years, done similar work, uh, because otherwise you're going to be solving the problems which already been solved by so many people, but you just don't know about it. Um, so move there, find the person who is an insider, uh, and then try to actually um, uh, iterate as quickly as possible, because this is a different market, and we know it already is a different market, uh, and you have to find your niche, you have to find um, how to talk to clinicians, how, um, how the reimbursement system works, because of course it's, it's different there. Um, but insider uh, should actually solve this issue. Yes, Pavel, thanks. Let's move on to round four. The company, in a very uh, quick, uh, in a nutshell, I understand the company was founded somewhere at the beginning of 2018, February, March, right? And the, as far as the leadership, uh, yourself, the CEO of the company, Katarzyna Zawadzka, COO, 
Pavel Stromwasser, uh, CTO, head of technology development. Yeah, Alice Wojna, head of R&D, I understand. Katarzyna Ferdin, head of Polish Biobanking Center. Paula Dobosz, head of scientific development. Uh, Michal Gurczewski, head of finance. Michal Kozłowski, head of commercial. You have, of course, advisory board, uh, Kelly Gordon, Francis, uh, Tony Gutso, uh, both PhD uh, and scientists, uh, definitely. And you mentioned you are all together 40 people right now. What's the division? Yep. Yeah, what's the division of labor right now in the company? How would you structure or what team, um, what company departments you would um, uh, note uh, for us? I you mean, would point out, yeah. 80% of people are working in R&D. Um, I mean, we, we combine uh, R&D with IT because most of the work is done at the interface between genomics, uh, uh, software engineering, uh, AI, and that's the major effort. Uh, and uh, last year, that was like 95%. So, but, but what we've realized is that if you have a strong R&D division, at some point you have to start thinking about actually and delivering the service to your customers. You have to be building a network with the hospitals. So we, we, we are moving into a direction that we know what we are doing from technology point of view. We are automating the platform. So once the platform has been built, uh, just to give you an example, it took us like more than two years to build a platform. So then it was nine months to build one algorithm, uh, which is making a decision about the particular cancer drug. For the second algorithm, it was three months. And now we are able to actually uh, build another one within a month and a half. So now we are more limited by amount of data we, we have uh, than uh, by uh, the capacity of, of a platform. So it means that we, we should be moving from uh, working on a platform and improving it into a partnership. So we are actually spending a significant amount of time talking to uh, hospitals, um, uh, pharma companies, because we have to be validating the algorithm. The algorithm on its own is actually useless unless it's actually tested within the clinic and it is tested on the data which uh, all the clinicians uh, process or the companies process. So now there is still uh, influx of people uh, into the technology department, but what is growing so much faster than before uh, is the BD partnerships, commercial part, uh, customer service, because we have to have people who explain what we are doing. I mean, it's not that all of the clinicians are going to actually understand immediately what's the benefit. Um, so uh, this 80 to 20 is going to evolve into 70, 30, probably 60 to 40 and so on and so forth. And at some point, as you know, from, from technology uh, companies, a majority of people are going to be uh, salespeople or the people running the business uh, and, and not the technology. So. We are following this path, but we are at the stage that, that uh, still 80% of uh, companies' affair is uh, about the technology. Okay. And are you recruiting right now? If yes, for what roles? Oh, yeah. I mean, we are. <laughs> so, uh, so we are recruiting all the time. I mean, uh, the, the, one of the issues uh, we are facing um, uh, here in Poland is that uh, the pool of talent is, is, is limited a little bit. I mean, we exhausted it. So, uh, it's a great thing that we can switch uh, to remote work. It has its challenges, but it actually simplifies uh, things. Because, uh, um, I mean, Poznan is a great city, uh, 700,000 people. But how many great 
software engineers uh, understanding genomics more or less you can have i mean you have to move that was one of the reasons why we actually chose in boston because at least in terms of the talent pool uh there's going to be very different glass ceiling i mean at the moment the glass ceiling we have there is that uh, we are rather a small company and uh, if you are a great software engineer you rather go for a a, a big sharks there um, so we are recruiting all the time. I mean, uh, software engineers, people understanding genomics, uh, uh, interface of uh, uh, biology and computational, um, and we are always hungry. I mean, we we actually we stopped opening um, uh, positions. We just say we recruit continuously. If you are interested, just let us know. And this is on a rolling basis. So we change the, the position. Sometimes we need. Uh, um, um, very specialized person. So, so, so now because we, so we, we are in the process of completing move to the cloud. So most of the computational work is done in the cloud. So in order to actually scale your business in the cloud, you, you have to do a couple of uh, specific things. So at the moment, for, for instance, we are recruiting an expert uh, to complete the transition. But in terms of software engineers, always hungry. Um, experts in genomics, always hungry. Experts in oncology, always hungry. Um, and we have to double in next uh, uh, 10 months. So remember, because we keep doubling every 10 months. So we are 40. So um, I have to be recruiting at least four people every month uh, uh, to actually double the company, uh, which is uh, quite a bit of a challenge, I have to tell you. Yeah, to keep up with the tempo you yourself uh, created right, for the company. I have to ask this question, Pavel. I think I will not, uh, I will regret if I don't. Let's say you resolve cancer any anytime soon, 10, 20 years or, or maybe even sooner, having in mind the new like technology uh, advances and uh, maybe 5G will help you and so on and so on. And now beyond cancer treatment and tumors, what, what would you be interested in developing or in growing into, in maybe pivoting at some point? I mean, not pivoting, but let's say by, by producing, by producing, let's say. Uh, beyond cancer. Yes, this is huge challenge and all of that. But let's imagine you are now on the brink of um, like exhausting your potential in cancer treatment. What would be the next one or two areas? I mean, uh, if you think about what we are doing is we are actually developing tools to analyze huge amount of data and huge amount of data is giving you an understanding of what is happening. So as a, a trained biologist, I actually aim to understand cancer. So I deeply believe that the way to fight ca cancer is to understand it. And of course, we it's not going to be us who will solve the problem because there is a huge amount of research which, which is done. Uh, pharma companies are delivering more and more drugs. What we are doing is we're just matching drugs and patients. And what seems to be feasible is that in this 10, 15, maybe 20 years, we're going to have enough therapies to actually keep you on, on cancer drugs for 5, 10, 20, 30 years. So cancer is going to be a manageable disease because if you know which treatment to use, uh, you may all get rid of that uh, tumor or it will be 100% controlled. Um, but then, of course, there, uh, there are some other challenges. I mean, uh, aging, longevity. I mean, why, why are we only going to live 80 years? I mean, why not 90? Why not 150? Mm -hmm or the regenerative medicine. I mean, this is fantastic. I mean, when you think about a frog, frog can grow its legs uh, halfway through its development. Uh, I mean, why not work on the technology where when you lose an arm, 
um, you actually do something to, to grow the new one. I mean, it, it sounds ridiculous, um, but I think- in No, 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 please focus on teeth. Please focus on teeth also, <laughs> somehow. I, that's not fair, I think, just to have two sets of teeth during the whole lifetime. Perhaps, I mean, um, uh, once we understand the biology, um, how it, it works, uh, you can do things, I mean, the sky is the limit. I, I mean, okay. uh, ne next set of teeth, uh, um, um, lost arm. Uh, I'm particularly interested personally in longevity. Uh, I mean, I spent quite a few years working on uh, DNA repair. Um, and what we know is that uh, there is multiple factors involved in longevity and DNA repair is one of them. So uh, I like to imagine the world uh, where there is no mutations at all, uh, that uh, uh, you're going to be aging slower and uh, your brain is probably going to work much better um, uh, at, at old age. So that will be my kind of long-term dream, if you ask me about uh, where to uh, move the resources. That dream alone uh, should keep you alive for the next 200 years or so. So stick, <laughs> I hope stick so. to it. And I will be following your steps uh, just to jump into your technology when you know secrets for longevity then. Let's Please move on do. to the next round. Uh, last but not least, a, a formula F3, as we call this, funding for the future, okay? So a quick um, a quick wrap up as far as the funding right now, I understand $2.6 million is the approximate overall funding by now. Your last round was seed with investors like Black Pearls, VCs, RT, Adventures, um, and before that, the convertible node. Did I miss anyone on the investors uh, investors uh, team? That, I mean, a couple of business angels. Uh, yes. So we have quite a nice team of business angels uh, supporting uh, our, our efforts. Uh, but in terms of VC, we have, yes, we have two uh, VC funds uh, on board. Yeah, what about your plans for the next round? When, uh, how much, if you can share, of course, and what would be the plan? Uh, or maybe so, what's also the milestone for you to reach uh, when you think you're ready for the next round? So, um, I mean, we are get, getting ready. The issue for us is that because of the revenue we've produced this year, we have no pressure to actually uh, fundraise. And it's, a, it's extremely funny situation to be in, <laughs> really. I mean, it's... Um, so How much? Um, say it again. Say it again. How much you, um, you, you, the revenue was this year? And we are recording this mid, let's say, second half of July 2021, yeah? So it's $3 million uh, so far. So past, uh, and, uh, the, past the kind of canonical uh, MRR, uh, mm -hmm. good enough for Series A, but maybe deep technology or deep, deep tech kind of companies have different uh, multipliers, probably. I mean, for, for most of the biotech companies, um, and we've been told that uh, quite a few times, actually, that you don't want to have revenue. <laughs> because if you start producing revenue, you're going to be me measured and analyzed in a different way. So most of the biotech companies try wow. to limit the revenue as much as possible because then uh, the valuation is based on your potential. But at some point, uh, when you have a revenue, uh, it's going to be based on your potential and actually your business uh, model. I but, see. But, I we, see. Okay. but our thinking from the very beginning was that we have to bring the solution to patients as quickly as possible. And uh, that actually meant that uh, we started collaborating with some hospitals, uh, institutes, in order to allow patients 
access, even if that there was like a project who paid for the uh, diagnostics, that was important for us that people should have access to advanced uh, diagnostics. So we actually had our first revenue uh, in 2018. I mean, that was not much money, but that was the first dollars which we made <laughs> 2018. And uh, now we have uh, the, the, the situation we are in is that we've delivered a couple of uh, enormous projects. And uh, we, know, we, we knew that they were enormous. We've proven that the platform is um, flexible. So, you know, with papers in nature, science, it means that you actually have something which works. Uh, recently, we, we've submitted a paper with first thousand Polish genomes. So now the Polish population is characterized because for us, processing thousand genomes is like, boom. Um, and vast majority of, of countries cannot actually deliver that. And we, like a small startup, just took uh, um, uh, 1,200 uh, people, analyzed the genomes, and produced the genetic footprint of the Polish okay. population. So, okay. so we have evidence that we can deliver fantastic work. And now it means that um, we are talking to uh, partners about uh, doing some work together. But actually, uh, in this part of the world, there is more companies or partners coming to us than we are trying to find some uh, relations, simply because we've delivered all, already. So uh, now the challenge is US. Um, and what we've learned is that moving to US is very expensive. So uh, if we were to stay in Europe, we would probably not be fundraising for a while because the revenue we, we've secured for the rest of the year and we have uh, we are negotiating a couple of contracts which probably make the Polish company profitable, but the US is a very different story. <clears throat> and um, so we have like $1 million left on, on the US account. And we've uh, even two people on the full time. And, uh, you know, we have the IP team uh, filing patents, which are expensive. Uh, that's not going to last for, for long. So, so the goal is actually to secure uh, funds to grow business in US. And the estimation is that what we would like to do is uh, secure the portfolio of uh, IP and actually bring the first product uh, which we have to the market already. So we have to talk to FDA. We have to do quite a bit of uh, validation. Uh, we have to find a partner for, for the lab or develop or build the lab ourselves. <clears throat> and the cost to bring the product to US market, um, uh, we've actually estimated at 20 million. So uh, in order to grow the business uh, in US, at the moment, we need uh, an extra 20 million, or we're going to go slowly uh, with uh, our organic growth, uh, which is not optimal because you know you have to be fast uh, to compete with others. Is it fair to conclude your next round would be, uh, as far as uh, financing, you would be looking for uh, oscillating at more or less 20 million US dollars? Primary, 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 primary goal would be to facilitate and uh, to speed up expansion, and basically cover the costs of expansion in the U.S. Exactly the case. The receiver of the funds would be U.S.-based company or Poland-based company. It would be U.S.-based company. So the yeah. the holding structure at the moment is that U.S. entity is a mother company to the Polish one. Um, and uh, the uh, probably faster growing part uh, is going to be the US entity. So, so you're um, already past this uh, phase of like uh, moving headquarters to the 
what Delaware? Yes. So we are formally uh, incorporated in Delaware, um, okay. uh, and uh, yeah, the uh, mother company is the U.S. entity. Which, in a way, simplifies um, the process of fundraising uh, for this amount for this type of company. If you're already a U.S. formally and so on, right? So that was the goal as well. Um, then I'm not worried, and I know. <laughs> then I'm not worried for you. So I think this is just a matter of time. Last question for this chat, basically. What's your personal exit plan, Pavel? And just don't give me this uh, response. The, we're too early. There's lots of uh, things to do and so on. Um, at some point, you might have um, what a, a, a honest discussion with yourself. What do I want at the end of the road? So, um, so of course, you think about this stuff. Uh, and, and I know quite well, uh, simply because I actually know what's important for me. And, and this is how you should be starting this conversation with yourself. So ask what's important for yourself. What do you, what do you want to achieve? Um, and then uh, uh, once you know what you want to achieve, uh, you can actually move on. So from my personal perspective, building a machine which works is a key component. So we put a lot of effort into making sure that M&M is like well-oiled machine, where, where, where the machine actually doesn't need me. So this is kind of like a side effect of actually supporting your people. Because if you have great people, at, at some point you realize, oh, the machine doesn't need you anymore. So, so my exit strategy is to build an M&M which, um, uh, which doesn't need me anymore, and I can go uh, and build another thing. So I think I, I, I actually was hooked. So I used to be an academic with a PhD, seven years of a postdoctoral experience. I actually even was a, a group leader at, at academia with my research team of, of five. Uh, but I found this life fantastic. I mean, um, you build stuff extremely quickly. Uh, and I like to build another one uh, after M&M is, uh, is ready to live uh, on its own. Uh, once it's ready, helping people, uh, matching uh, patients to the therapy, uh, are not going to be uh, needed anymore because uh, it is organized in the way that it has to be self-sufficient. Just as uh, you are hooked to uh, the, the side of the, let's say, intellectual activity, which is a combination of uh, scientific approach, scientific knowledge, and uh, business growth uh, strategies and execution. And Pavel, I wish you all the best. Good luck with your US expansion next uh, financing round. And of course, uh, in the name of all the humanity, wish you good luck with helping uh, fight and win the fight for uh, life without cancer and then move on to other uh, problems. Longevity is the next one. So I guess we will cover this uh, when we are speaking about your next company. Thank you, Pavel, all the best. Yeah. Thank you, Alex, it was a pleasure.